Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lanua. And this week we're upside down and sinking. We're going to talk about 1972's The Poseidon Adventure. But before we get started, how was your week? My week was actually, um, it was, it was pretty good. I, I think I overdid it over the weekend. Mm. And I wound up sleeping through most of Sunday. But... Yeah, I'm in good spirits. Everything's everything's okay. I know that you had a more exciting weekend than I did. I went and visited a friend who is healing from a different surgery than you are healing yes. from, and he's doing well, and I am pleased. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Yes. Um, yeah, you want to get into this movie that I thought I was going to be way right, more scared so, of than I was? Yeah. Um, this was... The Signed Adventure is from 1972. Yes. It, I'd only seen it on television back when this was event television. They show a film that had been out of the theaters for three or four years. Right. Well, this is the only chance to see it because right. there is no such thing as home right. video. Exactly. So they would make a big deal out of it when Jaws showed up on, on network television. You know, they, they warned you that it was cut at, at places. Right. But um, edited to fit the screen and right. for content. Right. <laughs> um, one of the funnier things I think was uh, hearing an old, like a Henry Fonda character once refer to someone as a son of a beast. Because they dub yes. out, they would actually go and dub out the profanities and things. Well, they still do that for like airplane cuts yeah. and te- television, but, I think but they television's getting more permissive. Parts of the scene, so it's not just sometimes like you it see depends. Suddenly, sort of dub in a funny, like a weird, inappropriate word for being inappropriate. But this film was a big deal when I was younger, and so I was anxious to see it again with you. And I actually really appreciated it now, yeah, more than I did then because. A lot of subtle things that I didn't quite get when I was a kid, I really understood that and the fact that there weren't constant breaks from commercials and there weren't mm-hmm. scenes of dialogue that were just cut out because yeah. they swore too much or because, right. or because they were talking about the fact that one of the characters, hey everybody, one of the characters in this is a former prostitute, excuse right. me, former sex worker. They used some other words. Yeah. Um, and her husband, is a corrupt cop, as far as I'm concerned, but we'll get into it. <laughs> okay, so the whole gist of the film, it's based on a novel by Paul Gallico, first of all, who was a sports writer. Oh, really? And he transitioned after writing a... He, he wrote a lot of stuff about sports to start with, and then he began writing popular novels after he did a story that got a lot of popularity in Saturday Evening Post, uh, The Snow Goose. Uh, which is a story, I mean, it's ridiculously sentimental. Okay. There's an artist of only... It sounds very sentimental, but it it also could be about a, some sort of um, all-weather biplane or something. Well, <laughs> like, or like I one mean, of those those planes that land on, on water. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and you wouldn't think that for a person whose first book was called Farewell to Sport. Look. Um or who wrote, and he wrote all sorts of genres of stuff, but he uh, he wrote the story, the Snow Goose, about a disabled artist living in the Essex marshes in England. Okay. And he is he a Britishman? Yeah, I believe so. Yes. Okay. 
and he makes friends with a young girl who brings him an injured snow goose. Oh no, they must restore it to health. And they restore it to health. And of eventually, they do. over the course of time, um, they, and of course, yes, this is. Did this become that movie where the, the girl builds like a little flying machine and flies with the gooses? No, it did uh, not. Okay. Uh, the, <laughs> that's a, that's a real thing yeah. that happened in the 90s though. So she, uh, discovers over the course of the years, she comes back every year when she's on vacation to come see him. And the goose returns also to, uh, to visit with both of them. And this happens up until he is killed at the evacuation of all the British soldiers at Dunkirk. Oh, hey, that's a movie. And so, yeah, and it's been turned into a movie. There's, they always sort of, uh, from what I understand, everyone sort of dances around the fact that there's a huge age difference between this artist living alone in the moors and this girl, because when he first meets her, she's very much a girl. Right. And then she goes into a young woman and doesn't realize until afterwards that he's actually, you know, that he's dead, that he loved her. Well, so, then it's fine. Yeah. If he didn't... He, no, there was no... no. He could also just love... Okay, hey, everybody. The word right. love in the English language is really giving me fits, like, for the last six months, mm-hmm. especially. I've always had issues with it, but, like, it means, like, 75 different things. Right, it does. And, and so it doesn't... It's not... Love yeah. between people is not necessarily untoward if it's not sexual love. Well, I think, like, yeah, I don't know if the meaning in this story was supposed to be sexual love or some kind of romantic affection. That's, even that is right. not, there's nothing wrong with it if he didn't take advantage of her in any way. No, he didn't. Like, no. then it's fine. Yes. But anyhow, he dies. I after... says the girl who's very excited about the time traveler's wife about a thing where the dude is like 30 when he meets his future yeah. wife at six or something. So... You know, it wasn't quite that. Bad. But anyhow, <laughs> that that was published first in the Saturday Evening Post, and then it was so popular that it wound up becoming sort of a novella. And there are people very critical of it, but at the same time, it was just popular, and he became a really popular writer. Mm-hmm. And he wrote all sorts of different genres. He wrote uh, the Disney Thomasina the Cat, who thought she was God, uh-huh. which got made into a Disney film. Yeah. He uh, he wrote some children's books that were actually inspiring for J.K. Rowling. Oh, interesting. And she borrows the term boggart. Oh, okay. From his, you know, that's her way of honoring him is that he invented the boggarts for this other, or the term boggart. Right. For the, this book about a, a Manx mouse. But anyhow, so one of the things he wrote was The Poseidon Adventure. Right. It feels like a very Peter Benchley-y or something well, like that. Well, it did, and it came in... 1970s was the beginning of, we went through these cycles of movies. We're mm-hmm. trying to get people away from television. So during the 60s, there were these big spectacles. Right. Well, the end of the 50s and the 60s. So the Ten Commandments was... The epics, You right. can't get this on David television. David Lean. All the West was one. You can't get this on television. Um, and so looking for like new material that wasn't either religious and could offend people, mm-hmm. because there's always somebody offended by a religious epic, or it was uh, something that was accessible to everyone. They went with the disaster pictures. And the gotcha. first one was Airport in 1970. Right, which is what Airplane is a spoof of, right? right? Okay. And it's funny how which many people... Which is the only... That's what where I right. was introduced to this version of films yes. was through the spoofs that were happening when I was a kid, yeah. a decade plus removed, and or it, 15 years plus removed. It's funny because I know people who have, like you, who have never seen... The airport movies, 
And they were successive, Airport 75, Airport whatever. Get an all-star cast, stuff them in this airplane, give them all sorts of drama, and then they interact when yeah. the plane does something. Right. Like when the plane's about to crash. Or the, the plane is the villain. <laughs> right. Yes. Earthquake was another one, the Towering Inferno. Right. And we had some volcano movies in the 90s. We had um, Volcano yeah. and Dante's Peak, which right. I think came out like within six which months I of saw each just other. recently when yeah. I was recuperating. And That's it, right. It wasn't a bad movie at all. Mm-mm. It's like, oh, this actually makes logical sense. And then we shifted, I think, in the 90s to End of the Whole Ass World right. as the thing. So an Armageddon, uh, a deep, uh, or an, a, was it Deep? Deep in, Deep Impact is yeah. one of them. I'm thinking of Event Horizon as a title, but that you is know, a space that's movie. Funny, I was almost said Deep Horizon. Like, yeah. oh, that doesn't make no. any sense. Deep Horizon was the name of the oil well. Right. That Which almost yeah. ended the world. So, yeah, yeah. So, and Roland Emmerich just decided he was going to take out the whole. He doesn't need to focus on seven people in a plane. No, 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 right. no, no, no. The entire population of the planet is what's who's in peril, and everything is. We just ramp up the stakes so much. Right. And, and now every, you know, not every superhero movie, but like 75%, three of four, I think is probably right, where the whole of existence is going to be annihilated if you guys don't fix a thing instead right. of, which is why I like Ant-Man and stuff where it's like... Oh, I like the Defenders. Right. Someone's going to wreck that building in our neighborhood. Someone's going to hurt those kids as yeah. opposed to... The all of planes, Earth is going to blink out of Earth, existence. Oh yes, planes of existence. There's a multiverse. The multiple you, not just this right. universe, right? All the universes. All universes. So it's yeah. like, yeah, it's nice to go. Fucking, but no pressure, everybody. Like, right. yeah, no, it's it. We really ramped it up from yeah, airport to end game. Right. <laughs> like, but some of them, I mean, I had fond memories of earthquake, and I almost want to go back and see some of those at Towering Inferno. And they mm. did. They, the Towering Inferno, like the two lead, they had two lead actors, Steve McQueen and Paul Newman. I'm like, geez, you know, how they decided to share the screen was really interesting, mm-hmm. which was not much. Well, they're different. Well, they're yeah. very different, too. It's not like The Rock and Vin Diesel. Right. Steve right? McQueen <laughs> communicates without talking much. Paul Newman a, needs his right. charisma to get him. And he does. He, yeah. It worked really well. One's the architect, one's the fire, uh, the fire chief, and... Yeah, it was a re- that movie worked, but there was a lot of ones. That but also, didn't. Paul Newman, I feel like, is a person who thrives in a partnership with another he actor. Does. Like and a lot of his biggest, most well-known performances, it was playing off of somebody, even if it was something short, like you know, Gleason, right? Where it wasn't the whole movie, but yeah, he has a foil, or he has somebody. You know, Butch Cassidy, right? Like, all of these things. Working with, with Robert Redford. Yeah. They apparently really got along really well. Yeah. And they did the same thing where in that film, um, Redford plays it quiet. And mm-hmm. and Paul Newman is playing the guy who's talking really fast because mm-hmm. he's the one who talks people into giving up their money, talks right. people into, you know, can you get us into the bank? Can you get us into the safe? That yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, it worked out really well for him. But this film doesn't have any of that kind of fun to it. It's a very it's grim pretty film. serious. Right. The fact that they're led by Gene Hackman as a reverend mm-hmm. should just tell you exactly what the tone of this right. is going to be. Not just gruff Gene Hackman, no. but he's also a 
pissed off man of God, right. which we are introduced, you know, when we first see him, he is having a debate right. with a priest. With his older, his senior, um, um, like his mentor. Is it his mentor? Yes. But they they seem to be of different denominations because well, he's, he's not wearing a collar right. and the other one is. Arthur O'Connell is playing Chaplain John. And another thing for those of, uh, well, those of you, I don't know how old everyone is who mm-hmm. listens to this. All of these people were really familiar to me because they yeah. did constant television appearances when I was a kid. Yeah, I got, um, I mean, I've. I know Shelley Winters. I've loved mm-hmm. Shelley Winters, right? And I, I, I know the name Red Buttons, but I didn't recognize him on the screen until I was like, "Oh, is that Red Buttons?" And then, but at one point, I was like, oh, "Is that Uncle Joe?" And right. I didn't even have to see him. I just heard his voice. So Jack Albertson from uh, Uncle Joe from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory really? uh, was my big into this, and then of course Gene Hackman and Ernest. Borgnine. Born Hermes Borgnino. 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 So He's the, an Italian man with film, eyebrows. He is one of my he's one of my favorite character actors from a generation that produced a lot of character actors. And that's not really such a popular thing nowadays, but yeah, it's it, yeah, he's a lot of fun. Not in this film. In this film, he's kind of a pain in the ass. But the film starts with the SS Poseidon. It's out at sea. It's cutting through these horrible, horrible, huge waves. That big waves. Yeah, they're they're mm-hmm. dealing with a broken pump, right? Right. They're dealing with a broken pump. They did not take enough ballast, and that's important to remember. Yeah, they and have the, they have no ballast at this point, right. and the captain is like, "We need to get that pump up and the running." Captain is played by Leslie Nielsen in a serious role, right? And this is also in... not a long role. He is taken out fairly early in oh, this yes. film. We, this actually movie, this movie starts. Is this the first? And this is their story. Possibly, yes. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> oh my god, I forgot that that happened. You know, because right at the beginning, it's like. Uh, the the SS Poseidon sank on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day of nineteen whatever it was seventy one or whatever let's say, um, and of only there were only a handful of survivors. This is their story, and I was like, bong bong. Right. <laughs> he's he's complaining. So this is the setup for it for the the, the story. The ship is going to be decommissioned. Once it gets from, I think it was New York to Greece, it's going to be reduced for scrap. It's oh, made okay. too many missions. The owners have bought it, and they don't want to put... The, the new owners have bought it, so they can take it apart, and they don't want to spend any more money on it. It's already behind schedule. Yes. it has these problems, and because it's this is very old. Yeah. Um... The captain, who only goes by the name Captain, yep. uh, refers to her as a grand lady, and he doesn't want to see her just sort of taken apart by these... Right. And he doesn't want to run her into the ground, and it's also very unsafe. But yes. the representative of the new owners is constantly pushing. Yeah, and he says you can't take on the ballast because it will slow us down, and we need right. to get into port as soon as possible, which is also a little bit crazy. Like, I don't know if they are behind schedule for this voyage, uh-huh. but like... The people that we're with during most of this thing, this is a cruise liner. Right. 
it's a hotel on a boat, and right. we, we hear from somebody saying, I run this boat. The it's cheap not purser. It's a hotel yes. with a bow with, and a stern. With a bow and a stern, right. and, the, and I run the hotel, so I'm the most important person on this boat. And, um, you know, all of the people that we're with are presumably paying passengers on right. vacation, and I don't need to get into port two days early on my vacation. I paid for eight mm. days or whatever yeah. at sea. Not six days and some time in Greece. Although, right. I wouldn't hate some time in Greece. I'm not going to lie. Well, but we're, we're running to all the people who are on the boat. Yeah. And one of them is is the Reverend, Reverend yes. Scott. Reverend Scott. Who, Gene um, Hackman. Believes that God helps those who help themselves. Yeah, he he comes from a poorer neighborhood, right. I think. So he is not about... He's about the action of Christianity, right. not about the parables and the right. and the you know stories. He doesn't he wants... want miracles. He doesn't believe that anyone is going to save you. He believes that you have to save yourself. And there's a really interesting conversation that he has with his mentor at another point in the film that kind of is an accurate criticism of what the his problem is, which is like he, this is the gospel for the strong, though. Yeah, you're talking to people who can see themselves, and some people can't. Some people can't. Some people need help. Right. Right. And that's kind of like his his character arc is learning that some they can't all help themselves. Yeah. Right. Um. But he's it's watching Jane Hackman take this performance. It's a really strange kind of role for him. It does feel strange for him. And right. I was telling you um, earlier that I was I was listening to the most recent episode of Blank Check, and they're doing a Sam Raimi mm-hmm. uh, miniseries right now, and they were talking about The Quick and the Dead um, and about Gene Hackman generally and the types of things he was doing and uh, telling some stories about him and sort of how he sort of lost right in the middle, right around the quick and the dead, he had sort of lost a little bit of um, vim and vigor right. because he was paying off a divorce settlement. And uh, I guess he worked with Costner, Kevin Costner on something, mm. uh, right when Kevin Costner was at the beginning of his career. And Kevin Costner spent like the whole first day like really talking to the director, really sort of making demands about what was best for the the show, the the movie or whatever. Well, Hackman just sort of stood back and didn't say anything. And then at the end of that day, Hackman went up to Kevin Costner and said, you know, I've gone through, you know, I've just finished, or, you know, I've, I've just gone through a divorce and I had to take some movies that I didn't really care about um, to to pay for that. And I had forgotten about when I was young and hungry and cared about every choice. Yeah. And you sort of reinstilled that in me. Oh, that's sweet. Um, which, yeah, that is cool. Because I think when, when Hackman said, hey, can I talk to you? Yeah, I like think Costa was like, this man is going to destroy me right now. I am scared. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, but this is before all that, when he did still care about all yeah, of the things. He's, he is, it's, he's very intense in this part. He's very intense. He's yes. very uh, certain of himself. Yes. Um, so he's he's one. But of the... he also listens. Yeah. He, he understands what expertise is and what what knowledge is, and that it's not contained only in the head of an older white man. It's which contained is in the head of a very young white man. White man in this case. Who? Boy. And this is that's a boy that you're. This talking. is somebody that uh, he. There's a, a pair that uh, comes to listen to his Sunday address, his sermon yes. that he gives, 
And that Susan Shelby and her little brother... Robin. Robin. And we see Robin right at the very beginning. Right. He's, he goes up to the bridge of the ship in the storm. Yeah. And starts asking questions about the heights of the waves and all this other stuff. And, and he wants to go down into the engine room. And the right. captain is like, when it cools down a little bit, you can absolutely do that. But like now is not the best time. And go get yourself into a room where it's safe because the ship is being right. tossed around quite quite a lot and he's and 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 uh the captain is like you know are you uncomfortable in those those waves and he's like i've surfed up to 15 foot waves and he looks out and he's like these look like more like 30 and the captain's like 35 (laughs) yeah he's he's an interesting character in that he's that one kid that is always uh, you know, when you're working in a classroom, he's obnoxious. Now I feel right. like he may be on the autistic oh, yes. spectrum, right? Obviously, like that yeah. is. So he loves boats and right. the, the the ocean and and knowing all of the logistics the and the stats and the, and the right. facts and the yeah the distance from here to there and how and uh, how everything works. And he has taken that all in and no, and asks these questions of the people who work on the ship. So he ends up with the moat of of our core group, right? The twelve-year-old, eight-year-old. Yeah, How old is he? I have no Ma- let's call him ten and split the difference. Right. Has the most knowledge about this ship and what they should do to get right. up. Well, he has. He there's a very funny scene earlier where, and it's sad because the Shelbys are the brother and sister are left alone. Yeah, they're on their on own cruise, on this and they're going to meet vacation. Their parents, right. Yeah. Um. Elsewhere, but and they 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 sort of bicker with each other but they seem to very genuinely care about each other even if he snaps at her and she snaps at him mostly because um susan wants to go to church and see the young minister yes and he's like well i can't believe we're on vacation and we still have to go to church yeah uh, and she's like take a shower and get dressed we're going to church right but um they interact really sort of funny together the first time that we see the the couple the rogos who are um, are uh, Ernest Borgnine and former Playboy playmate Stella Stevens, uh, who is the former prostitute that I mentioned, former, prostitute. Uh, former sex worker. They are a really I. They're constantly yelling at each other. Yeah, Detective Lieutenant Rogo and uh-huh. his wife Linda. A he he. We hear them in the very first conversation that we get of them. We find that he locked her up five times to keep her off the street until she decided to marry him, right. which I would argue uh, is an abuse of fucking power. That's an abuse of power. <laughs> I, I think that at the time it was meant to be romantic. Or... It absolute that would be in a movie right. now and would be considered romantic. Yeah, it's and it one of those things is that in retrospect, as I'm watching, I'm like. So he just kind of uh-huh. abused his authority so that he can lock this woman up so that he can convince her to marry him. And to keep her from being with other men. Right. Presumably. And he is horribly jealous. He is very jealous, which is wild, because she is very free, mm-hmm. very beautiful, right. wants to wear as little as possible, yeah. because her body is banging. Well, yes. <laughs> She that Stella Stevens uh, was that was like her. She did a lot of. Um, she was in the Nutty Professor, the original one with Jerry Lewis. 
she did some of the Dean Martin, Matt Helm movies, or at least one of them. She was the, you know, the gorgeous uh, girl who plays innocent while the comedian does the act. Like gotcha. Vaudeville. That was her thing. Yeah. And uh, and like I said, one of the early Playboy playmates. Yeah. I like her in this. She's got a lot of spunk. Right. And she doesn't back down from She doesn't. She's like, you know, if you've got a problem with me, suck it. I don't, it's, that's not on me. That's on you. And, um, and you know, she, I'm sure she had to cultivate that attitude right. in her previous profession. And I just like that she's not afraid of this man who is a detective. And w- in real life, definitely would be abusive. Right. We don't see that here. No, I... But in the reality of our world, I think, yes, this... chances are very good that he backhands her on a regular basis. Do you know uh, what I mean? Yeah. Uh, we don't like I said we don't see that here, and he, she he listens to her uh-huh. when she, he is put in his place. He doesn't fight back. Like he'll say something, she'll be like, "Fuck off and fuck you," and I'm gonna do what I want. And he's just like, "I mean, what are you gonna do?" <laughs> well, I'm glad that he accepts that he's so much in love that he's going to do what she says. Yes. And yeah, there's y'all, a, that's a broken version of love. Also, yes. everything about their relationship is not great. Uh, but he's got the biggest arc, I think. Or right. you goes, see that his exterior and his interior are not the same, right? So, and we'll talk about that when we come up. So then, aside from them, there's Mr. Rosen. Mr. Rosen, that's Joe. And his wife, Belle, and that's Jack Albertson and... and uh, Shelly Winters. Who is amazing in this part. She got awards for yes, it. Yes, she did. And she should because she is so... She's funny because she's had this long career where yeah. she started out as a glamour girl. Of course. And even then, here, she's beautiful. Right. She's heavier set. They keep mm-hmm. calling her fat, and I'm like, could we not? But uh, well, she <laughs> also gained weight specifically for this part too. Did she? Oh, yeah. interesting. Um, but she, one of the things that happens in in this film is that you get. It, it's funny. Her name is Belle, so she comes across as beautiful, right? But like in a real. Just in a sense beyond her physical appearance. She's a lovely, she's lovely. Yeah. And you see that first, I think, I mean, their conversations, they're talking, they they are traveling to Israel to see their uh, two-year-old grandson that they've never seen before. And they're like, it's a shame that we haven't, and we, you know, we're late to this. Because I guess Manny, I think, just retired his store uh, from owning a store. And so they, you know, when you own your own business, especially then... There were no nights and weekends. There, mm-hmm. There's no time to go to Israel right. to visit your grandchildren. Like, I have to work every day or I don't survive. That's yeah. how that works. Um, but at dinner, at the, at the New Year's Eve dinner, which is where the, all, this, all the stuff pops off, they're sitting with, the, I guess, the, is he the last person to, to, to talk about? Um, he's one of the last. Which James is... Martin. Oh, yeah, there's really two more. Mm-hmm. James Martin. He's a haberdasher. He makes hats. And he is like a like an older bachelor. You'd think a confirmed bachelor, like he may be a homosexual, but he is not. I do I do not think. No. Uh he just never found the time. He worked all day, every day, just like I'm sure Manny. Right. Uh and and probably Belle too. Um 
And he's talking about how, you know, he's never had a partner. The first time that you see him, he's like speed walking along the deck. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. And when he's at at dinner, he's taking a bunch of, you know, uh, different vitamins. Oh, okay. So he's a guy who's just going to make the most of his retirement years. Yeah. Um, And live as long as he can. Right. Like he's, yeah. He's he's, determined. But he's a very sweet man. And so um, when they are, I think, about to count down, Mm -hmm. Belle says, don't be alone now. Come come with us. And they're sitting across the table, but she has him come over. She kisses him square on the face. I love it. I love love a New Year's Eve kissy. And the other, well, there's one other person to mention now and another later. Yeah. uh, Which is... um, Nani. The singer, Nani Perry. Who is Carol Lindley, and she sings There Has to Be a Morning After, which was an Academy Award winning song for this film. For this film, which is a song I knew but did not know it came from this. And we hear it a lot, like in in film, like she's singing it in the party and things like that. We We see her rehearsing, rehearsing, and she's overheard by... With her brother. She she is on board, and she performs with her brother. (gasps) Yo, she's not a very good singer. She's. <laughs> it's not her rendition. Is not the rendition that won the Oscar. Well, That's what well, Marine McGovern. I think yes. was, was it McGovern or Marine? Mm-hmm. Um, Carol Lindley plays Nani, and she is the Barbara in this film, more or less. When we talk about Night of the Living Dead. There was Barbara, who just becomes catatonic and difficult to. To herd around and Nani yeah. is Nani is the Barbara of this movie for sure. She right. is first of all, she is bereft when she loses her brother. Right. Um, she is the only one of our core that loses somebody right off the bat. Right. Right. That's not to say that that's not what's gonna happen going forward. Right. But of this group, the couples stay together. The brother and sister stay together. The husband and wife stay. The mm. husbands and wives stay together, but she loses her brother right, right off and yeah. is basically adopted at that point by uh, Red Button's character. The, uh, what's his name? James. James. And the uh, the, the haberdasher. Right. Earlier in the film, we see her rehearsing the song because she's going to sing it at New Year's Eve. It is overheard by the other guy who becomes important also a little bit later, Akers. Yes. Who uh, is played by a man who might be more familiar to you all as a damn dirty ape. He is a damn dirty ape. He is Ronnie McDowell. He is. <laughs> With his actual accent. I mean, yes, right. Which he almost never gets to use. He's very funny. He I... also seems so young in this. Yeah, well, he started his... I think he just... Yeah, he's... He, because he's so slight, right. he seems much younger to Also, me. he started his career as a child actor. And so, like, a lot of child oh. actors that, you that you know, you, you see, like Jennifer Connelly or some of the others, it's like, I, I, I don't know to this day how old any of the... Um, God, the Hunger Games, what is her name? Uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence is. Yeah, she just had a baby, and I'm like, but she's a teenager. Right, no, exactly. Of course she's it's not. Like, she's, so in she's in her thirties. I've yeah seen her since she was a teenager, and yeah. she always kind of looks the same to me. So like, wait a second. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So that's our that's our group. And they are many of them sit together at the New Year's Eve party. Right. Then we cut briefly from them. 
back to the captain, and yeah. this does not happen very often. This film no. is in very focused yeah. on these. These this are this is their story. It right. is very much their story. We cut back to the um, captain, oh. captain, 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 who uh, hears of a, there's a report of an undersea earthquake. Yeah, they get a, a 7.9 undersea earthquake mm. off the coast of We're Crete. We're from California. We don't like 7.9. 7.9 is bad, right. bad news. And immediately he issues a mayday. Right. And they go to, they try to batten down. It's after, it's just after midnight right. that this is happening. They've honked the horn. Everybody is celebrating well, in the ballroom. And things. I don't know. I, I... Yeah, there's all kinds of um, New Year's. They all have the, like, the Christmas, like, the, the paper hats that and... they have in the in Britain. Right. That's not really an American thing anymore. Maybe it was right. then. It might have been. Uh, this is, this all takes place well before I was born, so... Um, I don't know, but it felt like the the Christmas crackers and things right. like from Britain that I know they still do. I, and by I know, I mean in Bridget Jones, that's what they do. So it must be true. I saw it in Harry Potter. I, uh, oh, yeah. they Also that, yes. And um, as they're all celebrating the, you know, 15 minutes post. Right. Singing Auld Lang Syne and the whole nine yards. Mayday, mayday, mayday. And the captain looks out. There is a wall of water. Right, exactly. And it broadsides this it boat. It comes right through his windows, and that's the end of the captain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's out of this movie 20 minutes in. Right. <laughs> Which is, yeah, it was a pity because I liked his character. He was decent. But he's dead. Yeah, so broadsides this boat, and uh, because there's no ballast... it. It just bloop, it flips over, over and is upside down now. It is floating still mm-hmm. for now. Right. But anything that was glass and above the the bow uh-huh. or the is it, what's it, what's it, is that what it's called? No. The um the deck. The deck mm-hmm. is gone. Right. Underwater. And the only thing They're in a ballroom. Right. So where the party is taking place is in a ballroom, and we watch that thing rotate 180 degrees. It is really... Over the course of five minutes? Yeah. It's a long scene, and they're doing it sort of in stages. It's incremental, right? It doesn't just... It's not it's not because it's a lot of weight, it's a lot of things to move. It's got to right. go all the way over. And we've got to see it and they had to be able to film it, which I can't, yeah. The fact that again 1972, right? Or 71. Yeah. We don't have It came out at the end of December of 72, Merry Christmas. <laughs> well, New Year's. Happy for New, Happy New Year, right? It, Fair enough. We don't have and I've often said this when we see the thing later on, the original yes. thing. I'm, there's a fire stunt in it, the first one ever done where I'm like Oh my God! How did no one ever get killed doing mm-hmm. this? This is the same thing. How they did this scene is completely beyond me. I was looking it up to see if I could find a clue mm-hmm. to how it was done. And and yes, this, the set actually did rotate. Just rotate. At times. I feel like yeah, like the Jamiroquai video, right? Or the that Michael Jackson, Michael and Janet Jackson video where the room spins. Right. But that's a small room that fits this two is, people. Yeah. This thing is. A massive ballroom. It's, it's a full size ballroom. It's huge. Yeah. And the 
the scene. The tree. They've got an right. aluminum tree, Christmas tree. Right. That's got to be 25 feet high. Right, at least. In this ballroom. They use right. it as a ladder later on. But the I, the fact that the entire thing turns upside down mm-hmm. and you have people holding on to the tables that tables are bolted to the Because the tables ceiling. are bolted to the floor because it's a boat. You know, yeah. you can't leave them. And they're hanging on. I didn't think about, yeah, because right. it's a boat. It's moving all the time. So, right. yeah, if you want your table to stay put, you bolt it to the fucking ground. So they're holding on to it. <laughs> Yeah, when I was even when I was a kid, this thing was like horrifying. Yeah, and people would yes, they would. It, the people that survived are people mm. that got to the edge that was going next, right. and kind of eased themselves around with it. Yeah, if you panicked and held on to the table, you just fell. Right, and the ceiling is two, three stories up. Yeah, it's a ballroom in a ship. It is a very, it is a like a three story distance. You don't survive that. Yeah, that is one of the bar none more spectacular scenes ever done in a film. But in in terms of just actual stunts with real living people, this is up there. But uh, the end result is that everyone is is stuck in this ballroom. They're trying to find a way to get out. There's an argument with the purser. Yes. Who is insisting that they all stay there and wait to get rescued. Right. The uh, minister... (laughs) Yeah, Jane Hackman, who is our main, he like lead the leader of this pack, right? I would argue, is saying no, we can't. We're going. If this boat is turned over, it means we're underwater. We have to. Get, it means yeah, right now we are underwater. Right. The only thing keeping us from drowning is the fact that there are steel doors sealed at all these levels, and that's going to give way eventually. Yeah, it is. So we have to get out of yeah. here. Yeah, if it up. stays floating. Right. If it doesn't stay floating, we're in even more trouble. Right. Because we're already under the water. So, yeah, we can't afford to sit here waiting. It's gonna, it's capsized. Now it's going to start sinking. But also, there's no door on the bottom of a boat. Right. So how do we get out of the bottom of a boat? And that's where little Robin comes in. And Robin tells them, the during his many expeditions, annoying all the all members of the Poseidon, <laughs> right? <laughs> He found out that near the very bottom where the propellers are, that the steel is, I think, two inches thick? One inch thick. One inch thick. It's three inches. It's a three-inch thick hull over the whole ship. But, yeah, back in the propeller... um, What is it? Interesting. The propeller shaft. shaft, It's one inch thick, and and then there's an argument of, well, do you Borgnine? I think. I think that yeah. Well, don't you know how thick one inch of steel is? And he's like, yeah, it's two inches less thick than three inches of steel. Right. Which is a really funny line. I mean, it's everything's bad, right? But like, this is the this is the this is the hope we have, and I think the 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 plan is if we go there. And can bang on it. If there's rescuers above them, they could hear and maybe drill through and at the thinnest We know that area. the captain sent out a mayday right before... We was, know that. They don't so, know that, yeah. but they've got to hope that so that's what happened. And that's where the whole message for Gene Hackman's character comes in. Um, so, uh, so he wants to move them out. Um, there is... We see Acres. By, yes, you know, Roddy McDowell, he, and he is the one who works on the ship, so he kind of knows the lay of the right. ship. 
and the like the the passages that the help uses. Right, and he's up underneath the balcony. Yeah. Uh, because the ship is upside down, and you have to. There's a lot of really weird parts where you have to sort of reorient yourself. Yeah, like how is he? Sta- where is he? Yeah, He's the the steps that they walk through. I'm like, oh yeah, it would be a nightmare because they're walking on a ceiling, right. and the ceiling is explicitly not made to be easy no. to walk on. That's literally yeah. the last thing that it's designed for. So, and that's what leads. That's he. They um. They get the Christmas tree. Yes, they drag over this huge uh, aluminum Christmas tree. And they drag and it over to where the balcony up. is, and they're able to use it to climb yeah. up the balcony. They, um, the Hagman sends Robin, the kid, up first to just right. show that it is possible. Yeah, I like the way he's, I need a monkey. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I need, yeah, I need you to, just yes, just go and climb. do it. Um, and he goes up, and then everybody else follows. Right. There is concern. <laughs> there is concern that there that uh, this is when Mrs. Rosenbell's uh, weight becomes an issue because she's just like I can't climb that. Like and and the Reverend helps her by yeah pushing them. her up from her butt. Go. And then there's also a concern for Mr. Rogo about Mrs. Rogo disrobing. Yes, because they don't want them, the women climbing. They're all dressed for a New Year's Eve right. party. And so there's gowns and things. Uh, Susan, the, the teen, right. pulls off her skirt and has little cute red shorts underneath. I'm like, good costume right. change. Love that. Wonder if it's like, I'm like, this is smart resort wear planning because you don't want to pack a bunch of different uh, right. uh Outfits. Pack one outfit that can do all the things. <laughs> That's well, yeah, awesome. That was actually very clever. And I love the fact that it also has some sort of modesty for the youngest member of the, the Yes, pack. she's her legs are on display, but mm-hmm. she's wearing she's fully wearing shorts, and they're shorts that are long for the time, actually. Right. They're like three inches or something. They're you know. Uh but she's so she's dressed like that. Um Mrs. Rosen is fine because her dress is shorter, like it's it's knee length and it's loose, so it's not hard to walk right. in. But yes, Mrs. Rogo was wearing a floor length tight gown. She just can't do it. And she has literally zero problem just stripping down to nothing. Right. And she there's an there's an interaction earlier in the film where she doesn't want to go to dinner. Yeah. Uh and the reason why when when she talks to her husband is that someone on the ship looks familiar to her. Right, and might have been a previous, like and a John is, from yeah, a previous this life. Is when I kind of, this is when you get their whole backstory, right? And so, it's Mister Rogo is at least understanding enough. Although she eventually gets there, like he talks her into it by saying, "You know, we can't be worried about this for the rest of our lives." Right. It's that's not who you are right, right now. Now, and so that's kind of what made me like him a little. And bit. And I. You, right. I know what you... It's not like this is news yeah. to me. I know what you did. I locked you up five separate times for it. He's a hard one to like, but that but, actually made me like him a yeah, little bit. Like, what, yeah. First, I'm going to protect you right. if he has a problem or wants to say something. Right. And it's not going to affect the way I feel about you because I know. Right. So it's, This is not our dark, horrible secret. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. So, and yeah. he's not... You know, he doesn't walk around just going, my wife used to be a whore. But yeah. like... 
but he knows that his wife used to do that and right. and knows what that comes with. And yeah, and that was good. Yeah, he he is a very weird character because he's so gruff and like the, the uses he's got these abuses and stuff, but then later when someone is in trouble, they, there is no hesitation on his behalf and he jumps right. into into danger. He will do it. And so it's like he has a very kind of bulldog He's both good idea. cop and bad cop. Right. He has a very kind of bulldog, old school idea about being of service. Yeah, and protecting. And this is different from, although in some ways very similar to Reverend Scott, mm-hmm. who just is is like the way that he treats Susan at times, where he is constantly kind of like, Petting her on the back of the head and touching her face. Yeah, and, which I was like, could we not? Right. It was very strange. I was just like, I don't want to read in right. ill um, ill intent when there isn't ill intent, but right. please take your hands off the teenager also. Who's obviously infatuated with you. Yeah. That's she's you know, that was the whole reason why she drags her brother to church yeah. in the first place. And time. I'm like, does he know? That or is he taking? And I assumed it was for the other priest, the younger one, right? Because wasn't there like a younger? It it looks almost uh, Latin, but maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. It's possible I'm totally wrong. But yeah, I don't think so. Because Hackman is. I'm sorry. I think he's a very good actor, and I do like him and stuff. Mm -hmm. Hot is not the word that I would use. So, but I could see. I bet he's very charismatic, and I bet I could see. I could see a draw that way. You want to see? The height of his charisma. Watch Superman. His oh yeah, Lex Luthor. He is so yeah. freaking funny. That is true. And I would never think of like Gene Hackman. Well, no, he is funny as hell. Yeah. But um, anyhow, so they climb up using this this Christmas tree. Yes. They get to the you know a level where they can start climbing. The other people start listening to the purser. No, no, no. We're going to stay here. And then as they as their group gets to the top of this Christmas mm-hmm. tree and are are getting ready to take off. Right. One of those dams breaks, and it starts flooding. And the 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 ballroom full of people who are waiting for safety, right, are suddenly. And so a bunch of people climb this tree as hard as they can. They're climbing, 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 climbing. And remember, you know, twenty five, thirty, thirty feet from yeah. the ceiling of the ballroom with no stability, and now right. water is coming in. Like so, they're climbing on it. The tree snaps and r- rolls away. And it the way that it's photographed. I again, it, the fact that it's actually a lot of Gene these Hackman. things I was looking away or blinking long for. I no, I know have a lot of anxiety over water and places that water shouldn't be. So <laughs> yeah, the, that shot was really again Ronald, the, the director of the film, really captured a lot of great moments, and he had a really game cast. These people were down for. You know, put me in a flooding room. It's gonna they this 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 and Titanic. There are some shoots where I'm just like miserable. These people were miserable because they were wet for a month. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, ooh, I don't like wet socks for three minutes. Yeah, a month. I found some old interviews which I'll post on our, our our Facebook page. With Ernest Borgnine about the making of the film and things like that. Yeah. Um, and he talked about it. It's like, oh, no, that was it was really great fun when we got off of that set. But that set was awful because you're just wandering around in like waist or ankle or over your head, deep water. 
at every turn. Mm -hmm. You're underwater. You're There's no way wet. to get a escape right. from it. There's and the no parts of the yeah. set that are not wet are either on fire or they're steaming or there's something like that. And so you're you're taking your break and you sit there in a corner and just try to like somebody puts a blanket over your shoulders and you just sit and wait for the next take. Also, something like again. someone like Borgnine or mm -hmm. Hackman is fully clothed and could right. wear a wetsuit underneath to keep themselves warm. Susan, young Susan in her little short shorts uh, yeah. was not able to do that because her legs are fully displayed the whole film. And um, uh, Mrs. Rogo ends up so he doesn't want her to take her dress off originally because she's not wearing anything under it. She's wearing a pair of panties, and that's it. And uh, she goes to take her her you know just she, fuck it. I don't. I want to live. So yeah. whatever I need to do, I'm gonna do. And Hagman's like, give her your shirt, right? And that's what ends up happening is he gives him gives her his shirt. So she's wearing like a a men's button down shirt and a, a white panties. And that's what she's wearing. For the rest of the film. Interestingly enough, it's not done... Like, that isn't done in exploitative way. It isn't. Either. Even when we're seeing her climb up ahead of right. us, it's not done in a way that's like, look at this. Right. Like, it isn't. You see what you'd see if you were climbing up behind her, uh -huh. but it's not... Um, it's not lascivious sort of, yeah, in any way. It's not the sort of leering kind of uh, that you get. Which is nice. You'd think a woman had directed this, but no, a nope. woman did not. It was an Englishman, Ronald Nimi. Nimi? Is that how it's pronounced? I think so. So from here, uh, and again, that one shot where Hackman's reaching out to help one of the people off the tree, and the tree collapses just as he's trying to grab one right. of these people to save them. And this seems to affect his psychology for the rest of the for film. For the rest of the movie, yeah. He's now determined. He's going to get these people to safety. It's up to him. What. Everything is up right. to him. It's all on his shoulders, which is an unhealthy view. But there you go. So they, the rest of the film really is them trying to get to this, um, trying to get to the place where uh, the uh, propeller shaft is or propeller, I shouldn't say that. Mm. Uh, so they get to the engine room, right? They're going towards the engine room. Right. The idea is to go to, towards the engine room, which is the That's opposite right. of the bow, the stern, <laughs> the back of the ship, the butt. Right, which it makes sense that that, in this case, would be the last thing, because generally when a ship capsizes, the, the bow is the first thing to go. Yeah. But the stern in this case, being that it's upside down, seems to be that would be what would go. And that also leads to the horrifying idea that the... It's going to tip. And that's, oh, that's my least favorite part of the right. Titanic. When the boat goes up out of the water. Mm -mm, mm -mm, yeah. mm -mm. I don't even like when a boat is uh, like grounded on land, like parked or whatever. I'm just like, if I can see the bottom of a boat, something is wrong. That is just, the, like, I just get these right. flashes of, it's not okay. This is not okay. Um, but when they're on their way to the engine room, they have to climb a ladder through a ventilation shaft. Yes. So that's when it's, like, die hard. We can kick and at every shaft. step, Noni is like, I can't, I can't, I can't. Right. And James is like, I'm here with you every step of the way. I will carry you if I have to. Right. He's very sweet to her in a way that makes me feel like 
terrifyingly at the end of this, he's going to be like, and now you owe me the rest of your life. <laughs> I don't think he would no. be, but he definitely is like, if I have to die for this girl to live, I will do that. <laughs> I don't know if it's a romantic attachment or just like he's seen too many people die and he's not going to, you know. Maybe, but I. it feels like there is a, if she wasn't a vulnerable, young, attractive girl, I don't know that he would go as out of his way right. for as stubborn and against doing anything as she is. Like, at a certain point, you've got to go, you're a grown person. If you don't want to live, there's nothing I can do for you. Yeah. And he won't do that. He will drag her ass. Literally at points, yeah, through the ship to get her out. Um, yeah, I, I well, there's a yeah. point later on that we'll discuss, too, yes, where yeah, he kind of comes to life for everybody, yeah. But, um, so they climb up this this shaft, which is just I'm not sure exactly what the configuration is, it's like a big, yeah, and they're tunnel. climbing up, which means they're climbing up a a, a ladder that was designed for you to go the other way. Right. So, and ladders typically are flat on the side you step on and round right. on the other side. Yeah. To uh, give you something to grip onto. So now that's flipped, which yeah. I didn't even think about until right now. So it's, sl- and everything's wet. Right. And it's, there's, there's like, it's filling with churning. Yes. And then there is water. an explosion uh-huh. and more water comes in. And uh, the last person in their line Right. Who is Acres? Acres, who is Roddy McDowell, right. the um, their guide at this point, uh, falls into the water, and immediately that's when Ernest Borgnine dives in right after him. Right. There's not even a second of not hesitation. Any hesitation at all? He dives into this maw of water that is rushing up at right. them, and he's unable to pull Acres out, and he drags himself out and pulls himself up, and then there's like a fight between him and Hackman. Right. He's like, Acres is gone. And he's like, You I told you to keep them safe. And he's like, Well, that was it. Hackman I did what the <laughs> pulls a low blow. It's like He does. You you lost somebody that I assigned to you. And he's uh, like, yes. Hey, what the hell are you giving me orders? Hey, first for? of all, yeah, I don't what what dad well, no. Yeah. And B And and Borgnine is older than Hackman at right. this point. Significantly. Probably twenty years older than he is. But yeah. Yeah. And B, like w- how was I? So, I jumped. Into I literally the water. jumped into the water. It's right. not like I was like, "Oh, it looks like he's slipping." Oh, I, I if I reached out, I could totally help him, but I'm gonna not do that. No, Acres went immediately because there was a big jostle. Right. And Borgnine went right after. And like, Roddy McDowell mentions in the uh, one of the the films that I'll be posting, he said that that he didn't actually do the fall. He was terrified of that tunnel. He was like, no. Mm-mm. Because it's like, yeah. I'm going to need a stunt double, please. Right. <laughs> and is, good for him right. for knowing his boundaries. Well, other than that, it's, so most of the people there were just pushing as hard as they could. He's like, yeah, no, I, I can't do that. And I'll push as hard as I can. I right. can't push that I can't hard. push that way. Yep. But um, it, that begins this sort of conflict between Hackman and Borgnine. As who's going to be the alpha male? Because Borgnine is also like, why are we listening to a kid? And Hackman's like, because he knows the most about this boat. Right, and now this kid, now that Akers is gone, Mm -hmm. he legitimately knows the the most. most. They have to find And Borgnine is like, why? I'm not listening to a child. And Hackman is like, I'm listening to the person with the most information, which is how we all should be. (laughs) 
<laughs> and the kid starts... Do not judge the message based on the message you're yeah. giving it The beginning you. of the film, I didn't quite like him so much because he just seems so obnoxious. But then as the film goes, he starts realizing, oh, we're in, we're in the shit now. So he starts actually extending sort of feelings of compassion, whatever, mm-hmm. to other people. There's mm-hmm. a, a scene where... Uh, the Reverend goes. Reverend Scott goes and looks for. Well, he makes a deal with Borgnine. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Right before that happens, we oh, should talk yes. about. So they are going to the stern of the ship. Uh-huh. That is the plan. That's where the propeller uh, shaft is, where it's thinnest. That seems the best option to get rescued. They pass another group of survivors, led by the doctor. I think it's, I the, think ship's it's the ship's doctor. The nurse is with them. There's a number, quite a number of people, and they're headed to the bow. And that is when there's a little dissension in this group of what should we do? Should we follow them? Mm-hmm. Or should we continue on what we are planning to do? And that is when Hackman is like, look, let me see if I can find a way forward. Right. And if I can't, you guys will go, we'll go with them. Right. But he does not feel like that's the right thing to do. But... He's starting to have doubts, and, and he's got these questions that he can't answer because he right. is not an expert about the, about the ship. So, yeah. So that's, and so, yeah, that's when they have their separation, and he goes and, and finds... And uh, Susan follows after Susan him. Susan follows after him because she's a little puppy. Well, I, I think that there's also an element of... She wants to make sure he's okay. She and she sees also that, feels like, safe with on, him. She and, feels safe with him, but I right. think it's also like... She agrees with him and wants to show support and also thinks nobody should be by themselves because if they come up against an obstacle that they can't get out of, then right. that nobody has cell phones to call for help. Well, it, turns like, out, it, it works out really well because she he sends her back. He eventually comes back. Just Yeah, he goes through minutes. into right. like a, a pipe or whatever, and it's like, if I don't come back in 15 minutes, go tell them to go the other way. Right. And she's like, so he's, I don't want to hear that, but I hear that, yeah. and I will do that. And he eventually does show up. Yeah, she goes, She the time passes. I don't right. know how she tells 15 minutes. She has some misses, a lot of Mississippis. And then she goes back, and she's like, distraught. Yeah. But she's like, he said if Come back in 15 minutes. <laughs> and then he like, ah, appears and is and like, he, no, I found a way through. So he finds a way through, but between the time, the, the, the place is flooding. It's flooding. You know, during the time that he's gone, little and Robin... And this is basically an in real time situation. Right. We're not, there's not a lot of time jumps here. No. This boat is sinking and we are with them now. as it is sinking, yes. Our little Robin went to go use the toilet, which is probably... The weirdest Piss yourself at this point, like grimmest, funny scene in the film where he walks into the bathroom and all the toilets are on the ceiling, and he's yeah. like, "Wow, how do I do this?" Just but, smoke him if you got him. Just piss wherever. Like, but yeah, so he winds up getting rescued by the minister or the reverend because yeah. she can't find him, and the water is beginning to flood. It's coming. Yeah, all these chambers, and the issue becomes once. Reverend Scott gets them to the hallway where he saw the access to the engine room. It's now it's now flooded. Yep, and this is Shelley Winter's big moment. So he they get a, like a is it a, a hose that they use? Is I a, believe it is like a fire hose or something right. like that. They grabbed ropes earlier to right. keep them together. Uh, uh, they might just be a rope. Okay, 
And he's going to swim through. Right. And she comes up to the front and she pulls her little necklace out of her shirt. She's uh-huh. like, how long can you hold your breath? And he's like, I don't, I don't know, like 20 seconds, 30 seconds. And she goes, try it. Start right now. Do a test. Uh, I was an underwater swimming champion and can hold my breath for over three minutes. This is what I was made for. Let me go do this. Now, of course, <laughs> he doesn't pay attention he to He does her. not. He goes, he swims around, and then he gets... He's going, and they're, they're, right. they're letting the, the rope out. He's got it tied to his waist, and they're letting the rope out. Right. And the idea is once he can get to the other side, he's going to pull, mm-hmm. and then they'll be able to pull themselves along this rope, however far it is. Right, so that, that would... Which is a good plan, up until it is. Horrifying to me, because <laughs> I can't swim. This would actually work, because you just right. hold on to the rope yeah, and pull yourself. I you just... could pull yourself along a rope. Right. Better than I could. I'd be like, let me swim. I can't. This is too hard. But he's going underneath the water and these, mm-hmm. and he gets trapped by like a Like a pipe rocket. shifts. Right. Because it's still actively, like. It's sinking. The water is right. moving. Like it's, it's not, we're not stagnant. And there's still explosions. And he gets stuck under something and they're the like. Oh, they're hitting the water and they're yeah, hot and it's cold. Hot. So they're true. still exploding. So it's like everything that can go wrong is still going wrong. He gets trapped underneath the wreckage. Um, and they're like, he's not taking, like, right. the rope's not going, and he's not pulling. And that's when Shelley Winters is like, out of the way, <laughs> and dives in. And, and her <laughs> husband is very unhappy about this, and so is Rogo, because it's like, oh my god. And she, and this is Shelley Winters swimming underwater. This is not a double, this is no. not. And she her. does, she goes, she, fi- she finds him, mm-hmm. she loosens what is on him right. and she drags his ass through to the other side and mm-hmm. saves him right. and it's rad and they pull on the rope no they don't they don't before they pull on the rope she's out and she's like oh we made it and that was da 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 and then then she has a heart attack and dies <laughs> y'all it's rough you have formed such a, an affection for her in this movie yeah because she is self-effacing, but she's game to do whatever needs doing. Right. She's supporting everybody else. Like, she's the best. Diggy. She's the best. Which and is... she has just saved Gene Hackman, and she's going to get them all through, and it's going right. to be awesome. And then she does just have a massive coronary event right. and dies. There's no... And Hackman is like, his face is this, he's destroyed. There's some great acting there. And he's like, I gotta fucking pull this rope. And then I gotta tell this man that his wife is dead. <laughs> because they've been trading these these necklaces back this this necklace back and forth. Right. Take this to our to our grandson and, and give it to him for both of us. And that is what she as she's dying, she tells Hackman to give my husband this necklace and tell him. To take it to our grandson, and it's for from both of us. That is what he needs to do. Right. Um, and then she dies, and then he is like, "I gotta fucking do this, and it's gonna suck." And he also there's an interesting dynamic there with the fact that this is a Jewish couple, right? Because he doesn't offer it's God's plan or any of that. No, <laughs> he just is like. I'm going to respect, and I mean, he's got to know, he's got to be thinking, she's not going to get the burial that her faith demands. He's not going to want to go on. Like, this is going to be a whole fucking situation, not just with him, but with everybody. Everybody 
loves this woman now, and she basically saved them. And sure. then, yeah, so he pulls on that rope, and they start coming through. They're coming through, coming through, coming through, and then Nani is like, can't do it, won't do it. Gonna die here. And once again, we have James saying, hold on to me, and I'll pull you. Because he will not leave this girl alone, <laughs> even though she's the worst. Oh, she's so, oh, she's just watching her just dig her heels in at every turn and make everybody's life harder. Specifically, this uh, poor, sweet man who just wants to save her is... I just want to shake her. <laughs> well, there's a... So once they come up out of the water, again, we could add that Rogo is the first person, Iris Bargnon's character, when neither of them, when neither Belle or... Reverend Scott is pulling this rope. Rogo is the first person in. He's going to assume control of the situation. He gets through. He's horrified to find out what happens, but he tugs the rope. Other people come through. Nani is pushed along, and they get to the other side. Um, and she's propped up. He's propped her up, and so it looks a little bit like she's sleeping. Right. And her husband goes to... To see how she's doing. Yeah, I know. That's rough. Yeah, and Hackman's like, she she had a heart attack. But the funny thing is that so many of the disaster films, they wanted to have a moment like this. And yeah. this is the only one that really manages it. Oh, really? Uh, I think a lot of them were, you know, th- there's characters you feel sympathetic towards, and there's people who fall off the airplane or get crushed in the earthquake or something. Right. But this is one of the few films where you really feel like when one of them goes. Yeah. And it's it's a it's a gut punch. Yeah, and he's like, "Well, I'm gonna stay with her. Yeah. I can't leave her." But then he convinces her. This and is the and way then he gets Hackman, to go, yeah, is like, "No, no, she gave me this. The last thing that she told me was, you have to take this to your grandson. Exactly. So you're not gonna like, you're not gonna shit on her last wish. Basically, we're gonna we're gonna do this, and it and it works. And I think she knew that it was gonna work. That's why she did it. <laughs> um, yeah." So the the final stretch of it is climbing up to where the propeller shaft is. Yes. And it's upside down. There's these wreckage of catwalks. Things are on fire. There's bodies. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, there are you guys. There are bodies everywhere. Yeah, at times movie. That's like, the other thing where it's like, oh right, this was a cruise ship. There right. were thousands of people on board, it's, and we're following eight of them. Right. <laughs> um. There's um, probably the most unexpected death in the film for me mm-hmm. is when there's another tremor because the boiler hits the water. The yeah. fuel, something happens. It shakes and uh, Mrs. Rogo Linda falls, falls yeah. off the... And it's just like so out of left field. Like, what the hell? Why did that? And she's dead. And then Borgnine loses his shit at Hackman and is like, this is all your fault. Right. We would be, I don't know, would would we be fine? You watched the purser and everybody who stayed with the purser glub up in the the ballroom. They weren't fine. And we don't know what happens to the doctor and his group at the bow. Well, we know that they didn't survive from the narration. We did. It's funny because at that point I was like, what if the people that survived were the other people and we just are getting this weird <laughs> Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead right. side quest? <laughs> That'd be a weird choice for this film to make. 
the issue at the end is that there's one door, there's a steam valve. Yeah. Um, that has to be released because there's steam blowing against Probably the door. made by crane. I have some history with valves on ships, mostly warships, though. Oh. It was back to your legal? Yes. Okay. Asbestos was rampant in the World War II ships, uh, gaskets and uh, insulation. And so I know a lot of ship valve manufacturers. <laughs> well, I think at this point, um, Reverend Scott who is now incredibly guilty. Yeah. He's like, I don't know if I've made the right choice. Right. I could have just doomed these people to this literal fiery death, fiery, watery death. Right. Uh, yeah. And and he's uh, pretty pissed at God. Oh, he's very pissed at God. <laughs> he was pissed at God when Mrs. Uh, Rosen died. Yes, yes. Um, and he actually decides that he is going to take a physical leap to jump because there's no catwalk underneath this valve that needs to be turned. Right. So he jumps up, grabs the valve, and begins turning it. Like climbing it, basically, right. to make it turn, which I would fuck up because there's no way I would fu I would get righty-tighty-lefty-loosey correct. <laughs> I'm just telling you. So he's trying to close this valve so the steam stops going, right? right? That's the, yeah. But it's supposed to be near the ground, and now it's in the ceiling. And, right. Yeah. So he's suspended there, and he's going on his rant uh, against both And he's fate. hanging not on, over water right now. He's Well, it might be water underneath, but on top it's oil, and it's on fire. Right. And so... And so every time he grabs the valve wheel, it's burning his flesh right. onto it. And he's just taking these big handfuls, like, of... Molten right. metal and turning this valve and yelling at God. <laughs> so at the completion of this task, he lets go. And with his final words being, is this going to be enough of a sacrifice for you? Can everyone else live now? Uh, where he's railing against God, he sacrifices himself. And then we're just sort of stuck with, well, what the hell do we do now? Yeah. Well, he says, lead them the right. rest away. And... This so is... who's left? We've got Detective Rogo. Mm -hmm. We've got Manny. Detective Rogo, Sans' wife. Manny, Sans' wife. Martin and Nani are still together. James, Martin, and Nani are still together. And Susan and Robin are still together. So we're down to six. And I believe this is the part where Rogo is having problems pulling his stuff together. And uh, James, of all people, mm. just jumps down his throat, so to speak. It's like you were constantly far, whining, yeah. you were constantly complaining. And constantly saying you knew better. Right. So know better and do better. Right, so right now we need to get out of <laughs> I'm here. I'm going to need you to suck it up. <laughs> you need to be good cop. You need to get us mm -hmm. through here and get us up to the... And it works. It snaps him out of it. He reminds him of his duty. Yeah. And then he starts being really, like, warning people about how hot the doorway was because the steam had been on it before. Um, getting everyone through, and then they're up in this little room, I guess, where the propeller shaft is. And they're like, now what? Right. And then they hear somebody on the outside. Right. There are people walking on the outside. So they start banging. They pick up, like, pipes and stuff uh, and start banging on the piping above them so that they could be heard. And then they are. And then, you know, you see the... Like the sparks. Sparks from a, uh, I guess, a, a, like a... 
welding torch. Yeah, or uh, some sort of cutter right. to, that's cutting through the hall. And the last image you have is of them coming up into the daylight, uh, which there's been precious little of in this film. Right. And well, the, the the thing tipped over at 12, like 12.15 right. or whatever, or 12.05 I think the even. only daylight you see is very early on. The um, the reverend right. um, and his mentor are speaking on the deck. Right. And Manny and um, Belle are sunbathing and reading magazines. And watching, what's his, uh, watching James. And James is wa- walking across the deck. And then also later than that, the, the I believe the sermon that, Right, that he gives is outside, is on the deck. Yeah. But other than that, it's like maybe the Lido deck. I hear that's a thing on a cruise ship. It's very uh, like that. It's kind of sh- at the last minute you're seeing them taking them up. It's like, well, what happened to all the rest of the people? And they're looking at them and going, like, no, that's that's pretty much your no one else survived, and then they fly away. Yeah. So, what did you think of the film as a whole? This is the artifact from you know. I was less stressed than I thought it was gonna. I thought I was gonna uh-huh. be. It was good. I enjoyed it. It was thrilling. Right. I'll say that. Um, I, the fact that the budget for this movie was four point seven million dollars is insane to right. me. I understand four point seven million dollars in nineteen seventy two is a different number than four point right. seven million dollars now. This movie wouldn't be made for $47 million yeah. now. This is a $147 million movie, especially with the actors they've got in addition to all of the effects. Right. And a lot of these effects are practical, so actually maybe that makes it, I don't know, is that cheaper? Um, these days, maybe not. Twenty yeah. Like five years ago, maybe? I don't know. The, yeah, I... I <laughs> with supply chain issues, maybe computer yeah. is cheaper to do. I don't know, but... Um, I I really enjoyed it. I also I wanted to see when oh this is very early. So the score for this movie was written by John Williams. Yes, this is exciting, and it's very early. It's, holy shit! I didn't realize he also did the Towering Inferno, Earthquake, but very early in his career, and it's a good soundtrack. That theme song mm-hmm. is very good. I've known it for my whole life. I didn't know. I did not know. Yeah, it, it was a standard that. before you knew it was. Yes, exactly, right. exactly. How often does a song written for a movie become a standard? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that happens every once in a like while. Like Blue Velvet used a standard right. in it, but that wasn't written. It, even though the lyrics, I'm sorry, sound like David Lynch wrote them. Maybe that's why he liked it so much. But um, this is before. You know, all of the Star Wars and all of the Spielberg yeah. and all of the, you know, so we get early. The The music is very good. And, um, and the accolades that Shelley Winters got were, were rightly and well-deserved. She is amazing, this film. Yeah. And this was another sort of career resurgence for her. And she went on playing different versions of this sort of older woman. I was watching a, a really crazy film with our other roommate this weekend, The Visitor. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, you did what, end right, up watching it. Just like, yeah, she, she yeah. was like, yeah, you need to be really high to appreciate this movie. Yeah, and I was like, I don't think I could get high enough to appreciate this movie, so you guys go ahead and watch it without me. But, um, but yeah, she was really good in that one, too. But, you know what's insane to me is uh-huh. that this movie was nominated for... Nine Academy Awards. 
there's no way that a disaster picture in any of the 2000s or beyond would be nominated for that many awards. Maybe visual effects, maybe sound, maybe editing. Yeah, I th- I thought there was going to be... This was nominated for Supporting Actress, Art Direction, Cinematography, right. Costume Design, Editing, Score, Song, Sound, and Visual Effects. I thought there was going to be a change just about uh, the time of Silence of the Lambs. Oh, where we would understand that genre can right. be good. and can be really good. Yeah. And, and we can stop overlooking it like it's schlocky or lowest common denominator yeah. or whatever. And I think that in some cases, I think the last genre kind of film that did well at the Oscars was probably Lord of the Rings. Although Dune did really well. The, the Shape of Water is a oh, genre film. I see, I don't even think of it as a genre and film. And I would also story. argue a little bit that Parasite is, but Parasite is an outlier. Right. Just even that it was an, an, a yeah. foreign language film that won Best Picture. Um, but The Shape of Water is... Yeah, I didn't think about that. ...is a fairy tale with a monster in it. I, I really... <laughs> I went with a friend to see that film. She had no idea what we were going to watch. Oh, what an interesting surprise that must have been. And at first thought it was just going to... Like, she was just taken by surprise by, like, how really crazy the movie was because it starts as, as one thing, you think... And it goes in a completely different direction. And then you're watching this sort of love story between a woman and a fish. And a fish. Um, he's a god, to be fair. Yes, which he's is not funny. a fish. He's a god. Which he just is, is in the shape of a fish. Which is... <laughs> which I think is maybe lost on a lot of people. But, like, yeah. Right. Guillermo del Toro's thing is, like, would you recognize God if he didn't look like you expected? Right. Yeah. But that was... God, that film what was amazing. What if God was a fish man? <laughs> Yes. I buy it. But anyhow, yeah, that, that, that's probably the last one. It's it's not as frequent as it could be. And right? should be. There yeah. are a lot of very good genre right. films. Lord of the Rings, you're absolutely right. But I feel like, especially with the last Lord of the Rings movie, they were nominating it like as a lifetime achievement situation. Right. Like, y'all did do the thing. I was a little surprised the last Harry Potter movie didn't get that yeah. kind of... Um, accolades. Like, look what they oh, accomplished. Those three leads yeah. really deserved something because they just went through it. Yeah. But an Academy Award for Best Acting is not the thing that they deserve no. though. They just deserve to get to do whatever they want for the rest of their careers. So let's see how that turns out yeah, for them. Radcliffe think... is doing nice work. Rupert seems to be as well, and Emma Watson is a woman, so she's got the short end of all this. Well, no, she's also sort of she's an activist, and she, she is, is really... but she's an activist because she has to be because she's a woman who had who got famous when she was ten. Right. Her options are limited in whether or not she could be an activist and a fully realized individual. Right. Well, I hope she gets to act more. If she wants to. In the future, if she wants if to. She wants because to. watching, that was another thing I wound up binging when when I was recuperating. All of the, All the Harry Potter movies. movies. And her performance in the Deathly Hallows, particularly when she's being tortured, is gut-wrenching. Yes. No, she's very good. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Emma Watson. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's the end of this? Yes. Okay. So, let's talk about May. May. What's in May? It's going to be May. 
with the May is your birthday. Oh my god, yeah, I forgot. I forgot about it. Straight up did. All right, so let's talk about May, and I will put up, I will uh, have shared something on the website before this comes out. All right. Um, But in the meantime, you'll, you'll, if you aren't looking at Facebook, then here's the info. Next week, we are watching 1961's The Guns of Navarone, which I saw for the first time basically one year ago this week when you said, hey, for my birthday, can we watch The Guns of Navarone? So, y'all, I was late, and now I'm on time, I guess. Uh, Then we are going to watch 1957's 12 Angry Men, a movie that does not pass the Bechdel test. (laughs) I can already tell. Uh, then we are watching The Thing from Another World from 1951. You might know it better as the precursor to John Carpenter's The Thing. Well, the, the original version of the <laughs> yes. film. They're both based on uh, John W. Campbell, I think. We'll get into it when we yeah, get his, into it. Yeah, his thing. And so, yeah, but I and love that movie. Finally, um, 1945's The Picture of Dorian Gray, right. a movie I've never seen, a book I've never read, a story I kind of know. Right. Mostly through a segment in the movie Night Gallery. Wow. Am I right about the fact that that's very similar? There's not really. The turpentine thing? No, it isn't? Okay. Then I don't know the story. What's up, everybody? I have an English degree and have never read The Picture of Dorian Gray. The story is, um, it's about a man who's able to, and he doesn't do it in the text of the story itself. He makes an arrangement. He sells his soul to the devil, basically. The other right? okay. to allow his portrait, which has captured his essence. He's a beautiful young man. Ah. To take up all of his age and his sin. So and it is. A decrepit, gross thing, because if you don't have to wear that on you, you can forget that it has actual effects on you. Right. Interesting. It's it's, it's a very, the book is a little hard to get through at times. It's like I felt. I mean, it was written at a time when most of the books that were written now are Mm. hard to get through. Well, the problem was I felt like. uh, I have a degree in English literature. (laughs) Yeah. And and, and I got through Dickens fine. I got through the translation. I got it Lady Sarab fine. Um, this is a very, and it's not very long. No, it's not a Dickens or a, no, it's or not. a Les Mis length. Oscar Wilde is a very florid kind of writer. I also did not realize it was Oscar Wilde. Right. Yes, fair enough. And I, mm-hmm. I just remember telling one of my friends, I think I need, and you can cut this out if this is offensive. I need a, a gay Sacagawea to talk me through this because there are so many coded references. No, I think that's. His, I mean, that is an that is a bit of an offensive term, but I under right. totally understand what you mean. Right, I mean, it's God, like trying to read James Joyce without some sort of annotation, right. because literally every sentence is an allusion to something, right. and I don't know what the fuck it is. Right, because I'm not James Joyce. Only James Joyce knows all of those I mean, allusions. If, if you would like to, uh-huh. I have an annotated version here of. The portrait of Dorian Gray. Oh, I would like to take a look because at it. Because it, it, I, I just could not. It's like, what is he talking about? The Japan desk and the delicate paper and the refined features, and he keeps referring to him as Adonis. And I'm like, I knew who those characters were, but not in the context. Okay. And um, Oscar Wilde was very fond of, like, for instance, the important of being earnest. Importance of being earnest. Yes. 
Ernest was a slang term for being youthful and gay. And but so, gay as in happy, oh, not gay as in homosexual, or gay, gay as in homosexual. homosexual. Okay, because so, gay wasn't used right exactly. at that time and, to mean that. So it was used to mean something else. So. so there's like there's these all these references where I'm like, I I, I need someone, and, and again, psychedelia possibly is offensive, but as a person who's mostly Native American, I feel like right, I right, yeah, no, that's fair. I'm getting away with it, but. It was like, yeah, it's I for the longest time. I'm like, I don't I, understand what he's saying. Right? right. What yeah. does this mean? And then I got the book, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's what this is about. Interesting. Yeah, but, I would um, like to take a look at that. Yeah. So that's our May. Right. And we'll talk about June at the end of May. Uh, in the meantime, do you have anything you want to recommend to our lovely listeners? Um, I'd like to recommend the Batman. The Batman. We watched the Batman. It's on HBO Max now, and we watched it last night. And. I'd like to recommend it for, as, and I was, what's funny is that we had some friends over a few nights ago, mm-hmm. and one of them is a serious comic book fan. Yes. And he didn't care for it. Oh, interesting. I didn't, yeah, I hadn't, I wasn't here during this comic. But, um, but when I saw the film myself, I was just really impressed with the direction it took the story in. Same. I was like, okay, I've seen this story half a dozen times now. Oh, yeah. and It I've is retread a lot, almost as much as the Spider-Man. Right. Maybe now more now? Officially more? I don't know. But it's like, yeah, the origin story gets repeated a lot. It's just, there's Uncle yeah. Ben. There's Now he's dead. Yeah. Then it was Auntie. Great yeah. power, great responsibility. We right. get it. So the, um, this film actually went through with these characters which are really familiar to people who've never read a Batman comic book. Yeah. Right? And it created a situation where this is possibly the most realistic take on what would happen in the real world if somebody did this. Yeah. Everyone regards And there's him, a lot of calling out of like, right. hey, billionaire, why don't you fucking do something with your billions? And the fact that we watched this the day that it was announced that Elon Musk had right. bought Twitter, yeah. I'm just like... Fuck rich people. <laughs> like, I'm really there's, there's some grossed out by great, what people are allowed to do with their money. The, the wealth that they amass on the backs of slaves. Right. I'm, I'm just grossed out by it. Nobody has earned a billion dollars ever. That's never a thing that's happened. You can't earn a billion dollars. You exploit your way into a billion dollars. Well, that's kind of in a way, the message of the movie, too. Yes, it is. And it's a really lovely message because it takes him... He takes a story arc in this story. Also, we must say, this Batman fucks in a way that none of the other Batmans fucked. (laughs) I mean what I said. I mean, that is a Bruce Wayne that will have sex with somebody. Yes, I know that Christian Bale had sex with somebody in his movies. Christian Bale was not a Batman who fucks, though. Well, the problem is that he's become very much, well, like I said, I don't want to spoil it for people, but there's a story arc that he takes Mm -hmm. where he realizes he has to be more than just that scary guy. Just right. And it's very realistic in terms of... Vengeance doesn't help people. Right. Vengeance doesn't help people. He starts the story, everyone sort of regards him as a freak. He's this big... It's big, he seems scary guy. Fucking massive. Robert Pattinson is not that tall, right. but he towers over everybody right. when he's in the bat suit. 
He's 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 scary. He does all these other things, the uh, things that frighten people. Apparently, there's a scene very early on where you see him beat someone up for the first time, mm-hmm. and he just beats the hell out of this yep. guy. And I found out later on that there's a bit where he just after smacking the hell out of him, knocks him down, and then just starts wailing on him again. Yes. That was improvised. Oh, interesting. And Robert Pattinson said, "I needed to say." If we're starting at this point where he's vengeance, he's just a guy who is really angry. Yes. And this, you know, his parents. Yeah. And, but he on. never, he, this also, as as violent and scary as this Batman is, uh, he doesn't kill people. Right. And that's all. Which is messing. what all the other Batmans fucking forgot. Batman right. doesn't kill people. Right. He will fuck you up forever, but you're not going to be dead. What's funny is that <laughs> you don't see... Christian Bale necessarily kill anybody on purpose. People die. No, but there is collateral damage. Right. Damage all over the place. And, and this movie, he doesn't kill anybody, but Gotham is wrecked. Gotham is trashed. <laughs> in this film. Uh, Zoe Kravitz. Yes. Her her Catwoman. Yes. Is really really good. Yes. Um, it's just like everyone in this film. That's yeah, good. It's he's, really good. It's really good, and I love the fact that they they set it up as a almost as a, a as a well not almost it's a film noir. It, it, it's a noir. It's hundred percent a noir. Yeah. And they set it up as you know what these people would be like in the real world. There's a car chase that you mentioned. Yeah, it was probably the most realistic car chase I've ever seen. Right. It's just yeah. There's lots of which people. which means it is. Rough to watch. It is hard to watch <laughs> yeah. because you're you're going between semis and it, yeah, and then Colin Farrell out of nowhere. You know, oh, what the hell? I didn't expect him to do this. Uh, he's under all these layers of prosthetics, but mm-hmm. he really still brings this performance in where he creates a character out of it. But yeah, that was a really that was. It's not an action film as much as it is until the last couple of reels. I think. Uh huh. As much as it is a really interesting kind of drama. Yeah. The Riddler is a scary, scary villain. Yeah. In this one. Uh, until he's unmasked, which is, I like that. Yeah, and the first time he's... he's I like that. And when he when things don't go his way once he's been unmasked, that performance by Dano is so... It is really good. Good. And he is really, he's really good. The other thing is, I don't know if he's got prosthetics on or if I just haven't seen him in a while, but he had this weird softness to his feet. He looked like a Cabbage Patch Kid, but like as a grown-up, right? He it was disconcerting. Strange kind of cherubic yes, kind of quality just to like, his face. Like, almost as though he had been, like like he had, um, you know, acided off any kind of uh, distinguishing features. But, but, I mean, not not with scars, just... This weird puffy softness that he had, right. it was, it was, it, but it was disconcerting. It was disconcerting because he's done so many horrible things over the course yeah. of the film. Yeah, really horrible things. And watching like what it took me back is you're watching a detective movie. Yeah, that's the other thing. Is For the you first get to time, see Batman really, do detection, being a detective. Yeah, and uh, you see Bruce Wayne and Jeffrey which is Wright. what you need if the Riddler is your bad right. guy. Jeffrey Wright playing Commissioner Gordon. He's not Commissioner. Soon to be Commissioner Gordon or eventually. I think he's just a detective. He, I thought for a second mm-hmm. he was the chief, but he wasn't. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, everything about it is it's a really good origin story. Apparently they've just approved of a Batman 2. Oh, they are going to do it. So, um, 
Yeah, it was just it was an experience. I was like, yeah. I was not expecting her. It is that a was. three hour situation. Right. So if you need an intermission, please take one by all means. There are places that are good places to right. break. Uh yeah, it's long. It's a it's a long one. So what 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 would you recommend for this week? I'm gonna recommend that you guys do what we're planning on doing, which is going to the theater and seeing Uh-oh. everything everywhere all at once. We haven't seen it yet. I know that I'm gonna be able to wholeheartedly Right you know, recommend this movie. Everybody I know who's seen it, everybody I trust who's seen it is like, maybe this is my favorite movie of all time. I am very much looking forward to it. We're going to try and go see it in a theater this mm-hmm. week rather than seeing, waiting for it to come to streaming. And that is going to what I'm going to recommend. If okay. you can get to a theater and you feel safe doing so, like we're going to try and go to a, like a 420 showing. As of right now, there's nobody in either of those showings for the next two days. So it should be a fairly... Um, light uh, exposure situation um, because y'all we are still in a pandemic I'd like to remind you even though everywhere I went this weekend there were no masks anywhere oh and I'm God, just like yeah, really so I'm masking I'm still masking and I'm comfortable with that but I'm also a person who doesn't have to wear a mask eight hours a day so yeah. it's easy for me to do it while I'm out in the world and I will continue to do that um, but uh yeah, I want to go see this movie in a theater. Okay. I'm excited about it. So that's just, that's it. Okay. All right. So if you guys have questions or comments or concerns, you can find us, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook by searching Latecomers Podcast in the search bar, or you can find us on Twitter for now at Latecomers Pod. I don't know if we're going to keep our Twitter account. I, I'm... Yeah, you don't want to be a part of the evil empire. No, but I order shit off Amazon all the time. I am part of the evil empire because convenience, and I hate it. But I, I'm on there so infrequently that yeah. I might just keep it because all I do is post our new episode links. Yeah. You know, it's not a lot on there, and I'll respond to, to people, but I have a feeling that it's going to be a rampant shit show in I, fairly short order. Ideas about rules for it. He doesn't want any content moderation. Yeah. Which is absence of rules is actually a rule. Yes. So chaos. But it means that all hate speech is going to be free to go, like, totally fine, and I, it's already a shit show, and I... Yeah. That, why would I subject myself to it any further? So... We're in flux there right now. We have a Twitter. It's at Lakers Pod. Um, and next week, the guns of Navarone, y'all. The first time I heard saw this movie, I thought. Well, first time I heard the name of this movie, I thought it was a western. It's not yeah. a western. It is a war movie. <laughs> so, in case you were curious about what it's about, it's about wars. One more. One. Yeah. Bat- it's not even a battle, really. Yeah, it's it's a, a war movie. It's a secret espionage mission. <gasps> a mission? To take out two enormous guns. Today's wordle was heist. Oh. It's not a spoiler because, y'all, it was three days ago. Um, so, yeah, it's it's kind of a heist. Right, it But is. they're not stealing a thing. They're, they're breaking a thing. They're trying to break a thing, and <laughs> lots of people are trying to stop them. So, yeah, yeah it's a really... Yeah, we'll we'll talk about it next week. Next week. Until then, I would like to remind you to take 
your medicine. And we'd like to remind you, better, better late than, than never. never.